faculty should feel empowered to navigate their relationships and to enhance their mentoring experiences, Mm. and that the mentoring network is a good model for that. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skorupski. On today's episode, we have my friend, Clara Lapner. Clara works with me on the AAMC Group on Faculty Affairs Research and Scholarship Committee. How are you doing, Clara? Hi, Kim. I'm doing well. How are you? I am great. I'm so happy to hear your smiling face. Even though I can't uh, see it, I hear it, and it's coming through <laughs> loud and clear, and it makes me happy just hearing your voice. Why don't you tell everybody what your title is there at Columbia and what you do there? Well, sure. And first of all, I wanted to thank you so much for having me um, on this. I am a big fan of Faculty Factory and a big fan of your work, so I'm just delighted to be included in this. So my name is Claire Lappiner, and I'm the Executive Director of Faculty Professional Development and Diversity Inclusion at the Columbia University Irving Medical Center in uh, gloomy New York today. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. Here we're getting ready for winter. Yeah. Well, well, thank you, Claire, again. I I know time is so precious, and I know you wanted to share something wonderful with us today. So, you know, what would you like to talk about? I was hoping to talk about mentoring and specifically um, talk about some models that are useful for faculty to kind of empower them to drive their own mentorship relationships and their advancement in their careers in academic medicine. Perfect, because I think I've been talking about mentoring every day of my life since COVID started. It seems like it's become this pandemic has amplified so many existing, you know, challenges we have and with faculty, with women faculty, underrepresented medicine faculty, any like disparities that have existed. I think this whole thing has amplified a lot of that. And mentoring seems to feature so clearly in this situation and and it kind of raises it to a new level of importance. We always knew it was important, but I think it's it's even more perfect timing. So lay it on us. What do you have? Right. And I just wanted to echo your point. I think um, we've known for some time that there have been some huge gender disparities among faculty in academic medicine and in academia in general as women and men rise through the ranks. And we've also seen some major uh, disparities with uh, faculty of color as well. And mentoring is often uh, contributed as being one of those factors that is highly relevant to the way that faculty can rise through the ranks. And I think to your point, because of the evidence of the impact that COVID-19 has had on women faculty in academia in particular, we're at risk of seeing these disparities grow even further. So I think mentoring can really be an important tool for mitigating some of these challenges. Perfect. So, um, so I, I was first going to give a brief introduction. I'm sure that other people who have um, listened to other shows that you've done um, and heard you talk about mentorship know that mentorship is a reciprocal relationship, that it's a collaborative learning process, and that it generally draws upon the knowledge of uh, people who can provide guidance, usually from senior faculty or near peers and peers who will serve as mentors to those who are starting out in their careers or those who are uh, more established in their careers but transitioning into new roles. 
So I think it's, it's very inherent to academic medicine. And I think most people are, um, in academic medicine are familiar with that concept. But I think there's several different functions in mentoring that are really crucial for faculty to get to advance in their careers. The literature shows that mentoring roles can be grouped into two broad categories, and that is technical or instrumental career development and psychosocial support. And the technical or instrumental career development is really when a mentor functions as someone who will advise you on professional goals, give you um, advice on the development of your academic scholarship, help you develop your individual development plan. It will be someone who facilitates the development of your professional network within and um, outside of your institution, a sponsor for who will provide you with specific strategic opportunities, someone who can provide skill development advice as well, telling you that you need to develop your grant writing skills, manuscript writing, teaching skills, leadership, et cetera, or um, someone who will also provide you with the concrete policies and processes that are uh, within your institution to help you navigate the promotion process. The other function of mentoring is psychosocial support, and that is a mentor who will act as an advocate for their mentee, who will serve as a role model, as a coach, provide support, and will promote a value system as well. The literature has been very clear that high-quality mentoring should include both of these functions, both psychosocial and technical functions. And the literature has also shown that women and underrepresented minority faculty, particularly faculty of color, are less likely to get high-quality mentoring in both of these functions. And so um, at Columbia, and what I wanted to talk with you about today is this idea of um, the mentoring network or distributive mentoring can be a model that can enhance or enrich um, those traditional hierarchical dyadic mentoring relationships between the, the senior and the junior faculty member to provide additional areas of guidance that are essential for professional development and that could serve both of these functions. And I think mentoring networks are particularly relevant to faculty groups who are traditionally underrepresented in um, academia. Wow. So what exactly is distributive mentoring? What does that mean, that, that word, distributive? So, the yeah, the idea is that instead of the traditional dyadic mentoring structure that's very hierarchical in nature, and it's usually between a senior mentee and a junior, uh, sorry, a junior mentee and a senior mentor, mentoring networks or distributive mentoring can include any level of faculty. It can be um, mentee or mentor initiated or facilitated by a school, but it includes multiple relationships with a variety of advisors. And the relationships can be very uh, variable in duration, scope, and nature of support. But the idea is that all of those areas in which faculty need mentoring can be distributed out so that you're not relying on a single person to provide you with all of your mentorship needs. So it's like a, a, te- a team based. It's uh, it's getting like your, your tribe or your, your inner circle or just a team where each 
mentor or each group of mentors fills a certain uh, gap in in your portfolio of mentorship, if, if you will? Like say we have someone who's doing the research mentoring, someone's doing the education, someone's doing my work-life integration mentoring, someone's helping me with promotion mentoring. Yes, exactly. So it, it is a way of focusing on your specific needs and also understanding that faculty needs and careers are dynamic and ever-changing. And so your needs may change over time. You might have very specific needs, perhaps focusing on guidance toward independence when you're a junior faculty uh, person. And then later um, on in your career, you may need more guidance in developing your leadership skills or uh, managing specific career challenges. Those needs will change. And I think what, what we've been doing at Columbia and talking about distributive mentoring is also focusing on certain mentoring targets. Um, and helping faculty members identify those areas and whether or not they have folks who can help them in those areas throughout their careers. Yeah, the, I, I like that. So make sure um, I want to know more about the target. So because when you started off, you know, saying the psychosocial needs, I imagine in, in, in academia, as you started off, you know, rightly so, we all kind of have a sense of the content, as you know, you mentioned that geez, writing a, a grant is hard, writing a paper is hard, doing science is hard, but psychosocial, you know, I got that. I'm a mature adult. I don't need help in that. So I want to learn more about this targeting. And is it a hard sell for you to get um, faculty to understand that other kind of mentoring? Or is that just too soft and squishy? And they think that's just not important. I think especially now people uh, see the importance of of that kind of mentoring. I, there are different models that appeal to different functions. Uh, I think some faculty, especially women faculty, have, especially at Columbia, have been um, very involved in peer mentoring programs, um, which I think often speak to that psychosocial support need as well. But the the several different mentoring targets that we talk about that are essential for academic careers are really a way for faculty members to think about areas that they might need throughout their career. So again, I mentioned the development of independent scholarship or research being particularly important for junior faculty members. As you progress as well, you also need help in developing your internal or external professional networks that are crucial to recognition um, as an independent scholar. Um, that is another mentoring target. Another one would be skill development. So as we talked about previously, you know, teaching skills, research skills, leadership and management skills, um, someone who will provide you with guidance along, along the lines of where you might have gaps in getting to the, the next step in your career. Another target is knowing a mentor who will provide you with guidance on the requirements for academic promotion. If you are in a new institution and you want to um, advance to the next rank or to tenure, very often you need someone internal of the institution who will be able to give you that kind of guidance, who will be able to connect you with the processes in place for your promotion and tenure committees and get you in touch with those in your departments who might be responsible for that work and who can give you advice. 
And and that's usually someone who is internal to the institution specifically. And then another target is career planning. This does not have to be someone who is internal to the institution, but someone who you can work with who can help you develop an individual development plan and help you uh, plan your career and think about short-term and long-term goals, help you think about what you want to accomplish within the year, what you want to accomplish five years from now, and where you see yourself going and making sure that you're on target. Again, that's not necessarily, that doesn't necessarily need to be somebody who is within your institution. Another mentoring target is um, someone who can help with the management of career challenges. And this is another area that's extremely dynamic in nature. So it might be someone who can provide you with guidance for work-life balance, but it could also include someone who can provide you with guidance to help you negotiate for additional resources or a new position or someone who can help you with conflict management or help you transition to a new phase in your career. Um, This particular area is, again, very dynamic in nature and it's very difficult to find someone, one single mentor who can provide guidance in those, in that area um, throughout the span of your career. And the last target is sponsorship. And that is someone who will provide you with those key strategic opportunities who will nominate you to speak at a conference, who will, um, who will include you in an important, um, paper. For example, those key strategic opportunities that are really important for the advancement of careers, especially in for junior faculty. And those are not necessarily folks who will be ongoing mentors who will provide you with those opportunities, but they are an essential part of mentorship for advancing your career in academic medicine. You are so, giving me so much good information. Can I interrupt you once just to ask you, I'm... Okay. I'm curious when the faculty come to you, well, do they come to you or do do you reach out to them and say, hey, Kim, it's time for you to come in and meet here. We have, we want to figure out your targets, your mentoring targets, or do they hear about this as a resource and say, hey, I've heard it. uh, You have this whole distributive mentoring model and I would, and I want to fill out the target worksheet. Like how does that operationally work? I hope it didn't take you too far off track here, but could you just briefly tell us how that works as a system? Sure. So we've done this in a couple of different ways. I think um, mostly to be used as a tool. So we do have these resources available in a lot of our programs. We've um, we've presented it in several different contexts to departments and in larger lectures. And we also, um, uh, my boss, Dr. Ann Taylor, who's the Vice Dean for Academic Affairs and um, the Senior Vice President for Faculty Affairs and Career Development, who also uh, wrote the book on on mentorship and faculty success. She and I worked with the provost's office to develop a best practices guide for faculty mentoring, which includes a discussion about mentoring targets and distributive mentoring. And we've been um, offering that to departments, making it available to faculty as early as through the orientation process and um, emphasized in several different programs as well to make sure that 
they are aware of this when thinking about their career development. So it is being introduced to them at the departmental levels in some contexts and also more broadly through our programs. It is really introduced as a tool that Got they it. can use. Yeah, that's wonderful. Is there anything else you wanted to share about the, the model? I think it's particularly useful because it's it's sort of unrealistic to expect that faculty members can get all of this advice from a single person. And it is an opportunity for mentees to facilitate their own development and their own development of their network around their needs. So unlike some of the other forms of mentorship, it does put the onus more on the mentee to maintain their mentoring targets and their relationships and their mentoring network. But it does help to reduce the hierarchical structure that's common in traditional dyadic mentoring. It can also make sure that the mentee can have all of their mentoring needs met. It puts less pressure on the individual mentors to fulfill all of the roles and functions and needs that the faculty member may have. And it's also really useful in that it provides a diversity of perspectives. So we don't, when we talk about this model, we're not telling faculty members that they need to find somebody who will fulfill all of those targets, but that they should have those targets in mind and be mindful also of the fact of whether or not they are getting psychosocial and technical mentoring in all of those areas. And the real key take-home message here is that faculty should feel empowered to um, navigate their relationships and to enhance their mentoring experiences, mm. and that the mentoring network is a good model for that. That's really important, what you just said, the empowering faculty to own their relationships and own their career development. And what, what I think is really unique about this and something we should be mindful of is it's interesting because it kind of leads me down the path of well-being and wellness and mental health mm. and minimizing stigma around that. I think, you know, we talk a lot about during this whole global pandemic about wellness and well-being and and concern about post-traumatic stress disorder in, in light of all this and and the mental well-being of everyone in the population. And, you know, we, we've talked, uh, my whole career in gerontology has been around depressive symptomatology, and we've all known about this, you know, issue of stigma around mental wellness in addition to physical wellness. But in, in an interesting kind of way, what you're talking about, you know, the psychosocial component of mentoring, I think is also a great contribution to this idea of raising awareness of and validating just well-being, mental health, emotional right. health, you know, that kind of stuff. If you just, at least you talk about it, put it out there, make it just part of the norm. And if we all start talking about it freely, that, oh, you're meeting with your mentor? Yeah, my mentor, I'm meeting with, you know, Claire, my mentor. Well, what about it? She's not in your field. Well, no, I mean, she's kind of, she's helping me, coaching me through some whatever, some some stuff happening with, I've got a, a conflict, one of the, somebody in my lab. Oh, really? You know, start talking about that versus the hush-hush, um, you know, the stigma around some of that people feeling uh, they should be ashamed or they're not tough enough to to make it. I think that is a really important contribution to to get raising the awareness overall of just the other sides of us, that we're not just 
brains cranking out research and healthcare and education that we have uh, the whole complex side of our lives. So I really appreciate that explicit focus on psychosocial um, needs that you've made there at Columbia. Well, thank you so much. I think that's a a very important too and uh, important point as well. And you know, particularly relevant to um, our women and and faculty of color who I think are are really suffering right now um, because of COVID, because of the acts of racism recently um, and systemic racism as well. So I think focusing on those areas and and again, having faculty, helping faculty become empowered to drive their own mentoring relationships and understand their needs and how they might evolve and change over time is is really important right now more than ever. But before I let you go, I want to get your take on peer mentoring. And I know it it certainly um, is in the calculation here because you have the team distributed mentoring model. Have you found it um, a challenge to make uh, faculty more comfortable with, or is it kind of an organic situation where faculty can recognize that their own peers that are that are just you know a, a minute ahead of them in the career ladder or have been at Columbia you know six months longer or a year longer or even if they came in together do you find that that is kind of um a no-brainer that yeah I recognize that my peers can also mentor me even though they're the same rank as me or maybe they don't have as, as many degrees as I do, but that there's something that ev- there's wisdom in the group that can really like shift your way of thinking. I'm always curious that sometimes I feel like when I say things about peer mentoring, faculty will look at me like, well, why in the world would I ever uh, want to meet with people who are my same rank? That's kind of defeating the purpose. I Why would you talk to somebody it's like getting marriage advice from somebody who's been a lifelong single person. Like, like, what's the point? Why would you talk to somebody about how to raise your kids and they've never had kids? I wouldn't trust that source, right? So can you just talk a minute about that experience for you or that you see with young faculty, junior faculty particularly? Are they comfortable? Are they uncomfortable with that? Do they get that? They do. Um, peer mentoring models have been very successful and popular, actually, um, at the Columbia Medical Center. We, we've had um, a lot of luck with that. We've actually offered a number of facilitated peer mentorship uh, programs for our women faculty who were on specific uh, career paths, and those were very well received. And um, what's funny about that and really a great unintended outcome was that some of the women faculty who were involved in those programs actually developed their own peer mentoring groups within their departments or some um, even created them in interdisciplinary settings and included residents and students. And the model has actually really grown. We just uh, last week ended up finishing a program that we that our office co-sponsored with a group of uh, KL2 scholars who had developed their own peer mentoring group. And um, we helped them facilitate a larger programmatic peer mentoring group that extended to the whole medical center that specifically focused on 
how to survive COVID right now as a researcher and as a clinician. And um, we just learned that there were additional groups of faculty who attended that program who have now created their own peer mentoring groups. So it's it's interesting. We've we've had a lot of success with that, um, particularly with women faculty. We've been um, developing uh, versions of that as well for diverse faculty, and we're in the process of developing one for um, our LGBTQ faculty as well. Oh, wow. But it's it, it is a really wonderful model to focus on to, that provides psychosocial support in ways that you might not get from other models of mentoring. And I think it's also, um, in many ways, it's less formal. It can also help develop a, a brave space for people to really talk about issues that they might not feel comfortable with talking about in other settings. So it, it, it's been, I think it's a very good model of mentoring. And we've, um, we've been developing it for junior faculty, mid-career level faculty, and senior faculty as well. And interestingly, I think it's particularly relevant for senior faculty as well when they don't have a group of mentors who are more senior to them to provide them with guidance. So it can be an important model for those at that career stage as well. Yeah. Oh, that's that's a really good idea. I like that. I'm, you know, being the gerontologist and here at Hopkins, we came up with the, we didn't come up with, but we started a couple of years ago, the Academy, which is a retiring uh, retirement organization for our faculty school of medicine public health and nursing and that's been really a vital vibrant community where they've broken off into eight eight or so subcommittees and they're providing mentoring to our junior faculty and helping on grants and helping with education and it's a really vital thing and i and i've started we started a new program called the next chapter helping later career. So folks like 55 and older who are starting to maybe think about some kind of transition. Mm -hmm. But there's really not a lot, as we all know, in faculty development around the later career faculty. So I love that you thought thought about that. That's really wonderful. And I love the term you used, a brave space. I like that. It really kind of, when you said that, I kind of sat up straight, a brave space. You know, we talk about the being courageous, but a brave space. That's something I want to remember. I really like that. Oh, good. Yeah, I, I think it's its really a, a great model. It, it can provide different types of um, mentoring support that you wouldn't traditionally get in a dyadic mentoring relationship. So I think it's definitely worthwhile. And we, we've also been trying to develop that develop an aspect of peer mentorship in all of our professional development programs since then um it's in, in the last couple of years and i think that's been going pretty well yeah okay. but I, I love i i love your model as well that sounds fantastic yep well we've got a, i just I was looking up the um the book um your your boss dr ann taylor is that the one she wrote with Carol Bland, the faculty success yes. through mentoring a guide for mentors, mentees, and leaders, the ACE series on higher education? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now on Amazon. Yeah, I, I don't have this book. I, I've got it now. It's in my basket. It's in my shopping cart. Okay, great. <laughs> well, good. Carol Bland, as we know, you know, she's the namesake of our, our award that we give out every year, the, Frone- right. the Carol J. Bland Phronesis Award. So... Yeah, this is you're very blessed to be working with Dr. Taylor. Uh, what a great book, Faculty Success Through Mentoring. Wow. Yeah. 
Well, Clara, this has been a really great talk, of course, and I'm so happy that you shared uh, the model of distributive mentoring with us and brave spaces and psychosocial mentoring um, in addition to content and skills mentoring. This is really good stuff, and I really appreciate you and everybody out there. I hope you also have appreciated learning from Clara Latiner. Clara, thanks so much. Thank you so much, Kim. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more. Get in touch with me. Ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.